This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is sponsored by Sidekick by HubSpot. It is a really cool tool that gives you live notifications when somebody opens and clicks on your email. Uh, it works with Gmail, Apple Mail, Outlook. It's really a great way to know if somebody has open is engaging certainly that they've received it it's a great way to also know maybe it's time to check back in with them uh, it is really a great tool i use it every day if you want to get it and get a free month go to getsidekick.com slash duct tape and you'll get your first month of sidekick for free Another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jansen. My guest today is Sean Jackson. He is a CFO and partner at Copy Blogger Media and the host of The Missing Link, a podcast that talks about, I'm guessing, all things to do with LinkedIn. And that's what we're going to talk about today. You can find it at rainmaker.fm slash series slash link. As always, we'll have that in the show notes as well. So, Sean, thanks for joining me. Hey, John. Thank you so much for having me. So do, do set us straight. Um, what do you talk about on the missing link consistently? <laughs> uh, LinkedIn. <laughs> all the time, every week. That's, our, uh, that's my mission for the podcast show, is to talk about all things marketing on LinkedIn. So, so when you get Brian on, it doesn't, uh, you don't wander into things like primates and other missing links? <laughs> but you know that's funny it hasn't come up in the episodes that we have that has not come up yet well, that's don't fair. give anyone ideas John <laughs> that is funny um, so let's just dive right in everybody's on LinkedIn I don't know anybody who uses it that well mm -hmm. um, I mean I've got 6,000 some contacts that I don't do much with um, sure. so why is that you think um, probably because it's not a sexy, fun, cool social network like Twitter or Facebook are. Yeah. I mean, seriously, it's definitely takes more work. It's, you know, I always equate LinkedIn. My definition of LinkedIn is that kind of old uncle that shows up to the family picnic in a three-piece suit. Yeah. You know, he's part of the marketing family, but he's a little old and maybe a little out of place, right? Yeah. And, you know, the whole purpose of the missing link was to kind of take that whole uh, understanding of LinkedIn as this uber professional, you know, basically a job board S type of thing and turn it on set because it really is a very, very powerful marketing tool for content marketers. And that's the whole point of the show is to talk about those ways to kind of see past that superficial look to it, if you will. Um, because many of us got onto LinkedIn because you just had to be on LinkedIn, right? right. And then you're like, well, I don't need a job, so thank you yeah. very much. And, or maybe it's your quasi-Rolodex, right? It becomes the modern-day business card where you just kind of collect all your contacts, but you don't really do anything with them anyway because you probably already have their email address. Um, there's so much more that can be done with it. Well, so so let me ask you that because you mentioned that it's a great content marketing tool. Mm. I mean, would you say that that it, from your view, that's the primary value over, say, like mining, you know, for leads or, or building relationships that might turn into clients? Directly. I think content marketing is about relationship yeah. building, yeah. right? And so I think at the end of the day, it does provide something that is fairly unique and I think almost exceptional, if you will, because when you're trying to build those relationships, whether it's to directly sell them or to build a audience for your content marketing efforts, et cetera, you're getting a lot more data than you will from, let's say, a platform like Twitter. I mean, first off, and this may surprise most, most of your listeners, LinkedIn is bigger than Twitter. You know, we talk mm -hmm. about Twitter all the time. LinkedIn's right. much bigger than 
than Twitter. And it is even better, in my opinion, because when you do engage with people, um, you actually get to see a lot more about them than just their little Twitter byline, let's say. You know, I'm on a life's journey, blah, 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 which may have in Twitter. Or, you know, he may be the CFO of XYZ company. So I think this is where LinkedIn for relationship building is fundamentally a huge part, whether you're trying to do it for B2B lead generation, whether you're trying to build an audience on there. So you can see, you know, who are the people that are making comments? Are they no-name unemployed people that really don't have a, you know, a big presence in this world? Or holy cow, this guy is huge. I had no idea. And that's something that you rarely can find in other social media platforms. Yeah, so so walk me through that then, because I think what I think most people do is they go on, they fi- maybe if if they're a salesperson, they go and they find people in companies that mm-hmm. they want to target, and they start saying, "Hey, we should connect." Sure. Um, and and I I'm thinking that you're going to suggest something a little different. Oh, absolutely. I think that, you know, we and we talk about this. We talk about connection ideas, how to connect properly. In fact, one of our episodes was about using Cosmopolitan Magazine's Guide to Dating for how you can make meaningful connections on LinkedIn. And I think a lot of times people are too um, uh, wanting to share what they have and right. not wanting to understand what the needs of the other person are. And I'll give you a great tip for connecting. And this is, I, I love this power tip. Um, we had Tim Ash on, who is the CEO of SiteTuners, and one of the t- things that he does on LinkedIn is when you go to view someone's profile on LinkedIn, LinkedIn will notify that person that you viewed it, okay? Right. Very narcissistic, and that's why I love it, because I can see anybody who's looking at me. Look, look who's looking at me. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. But what he suggested was that you send an in-mail, which is the email feature inside of LinkedIn, to that person that looked at your profile the day they looked at your profile, and reach out to them and say, hey, thank you for looking at my profile. How can I be of help or service to you? And I thought, wow, that is a really back, a, a really subtle way of reaching out to someone in a meaningful context because they looked at your profile, right? right. And then um, you're reaching out not to say, hey, let me try to sell you something, but hey, you looked at my profile. You're obviously interested in something about me. How can I help you? What can I do for you? And to me, I thought that was such a subtle but unique way of building a connection the key, of course, is you have to do it the day they look at it because tomorrow they may have forgotten that they looked at right. your profile. <laughs> right, right. Do, do, do you sense that there was ever, you know, sometimes when I think about those things like that, like when you tell somebody opened your email or they've been on your website and then you, you know, you respond in kind. I mean, do you sense that people get a little um, creeped out by that uh, occasionally uh, with the oh. idea that, hey, you're watching me? Yeah, but I mean, about the same token, they get the same notifications that you do. You know, it can't be that much of a surprise. I mean, if people right. are using LinkedIn for any length of time, it tells you right when you log in, here's who people are looking at your profile. Heck, sometimes they'll send you an email saying, here's the people that looked at that's your right. profile. Yeah, no, no, I, get, I get all those alerts, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I think the context, and that's, again, what makes, I think, LinkedIn a unique marketing tool is right. because you can, I mean, you don't know really who looks at your tweets, right? Yeah. But you sure can know who looked at your profile. And that's just one of the little tips and secrets that we talk about on The Missing Link a lot because there are so many things like that kind of buried into the system that people just think, oh, wow, I didn't know I could do that. 
Yeah, and I think that's really the promise of LinkedIn too. Nobody goes to LinkedIn to be entertained necessarily. I mean, they you know like they do on Facebook or, or Twitter. Right. I mean, they go there to make connections, to find something, to find someone. And so I think, as you said, the context is there to do business. And so it's really just a matter of I think doing it in a way that people don't feel is pushy, spammy, you know, whatever you know term Great. that you want to use. Now, there is a place for entertainment in LinkedIn, and that is the uh, the Pulse Network. Mm. It's there. You know, what I'd like to call it is the less sophisticated but more powerful version of Medium. If anyone of your audience is yeah. familiar with yeah. Medium.com, I love the Medium interface. It's just not a very powerful network. Um, LinkedIn has that through the Pulse Network because you can post things, um, long-form posts, including video in them, um, into the Pulse Network. Your contacts and others see them. Now, the type of content that tends to do well, obviously, Obviously, is the content you see on most blog sites that are, you know, industry-specific infographics, you know, uh, a slice of life, if you will. But there is entertainment value insofar as you can talk about things that are not business-related and probably see more success sometimes. Because think about it. You know, if you're working, you know, one of the most popular programs on a Windows machine used to be Solitaire, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because at work, people just get bored and they play it. Well, people get bored at work today, and sometimes they want articles off the beaten path. And I would encourage that if you have something entertaining to say, that LinkedIn Pulse certainly is worth an experiment, again, to build that audience. But most of the features in LinkedIn are not necessarily designed for the slice of life that you yeah, get out of a yeah. Twitter or Facebook. What about groups? Um, certainly there are a lot of people that talk about the, the power of groups and connecting. And there again, you know, you see so much of it done poorly. I mean, you see people joining 100 groups and spamming them and, and calling it a day. And, you know, how, how can you really tap the power of a collection of people that maybe care about the same thing and maybe you can help them? We had a great episode with Jabez Labrette, who I consider one of the experts of group manipulation. And I mean that in a very positive <laughs> and reinforcing way. And one of the things that, you know, certainly starting your own group, as you know, John, yeah. takes a lot of time and right. effort. So right. most people don't have that much time and effort. Um, for those that don't, yes, participating in groups can be extremely powerful. If your aim is to start with to be a value and a resource inside of that group. Now, I'm going to lead your audience on a little train of thought, and I don't want it to sound so Machiavellian, but it is a powerful feature. Okay. Groups have a feature inside of them that, for the system administrators, allows them to email the group mm. in mass once every four days. Okay, It doesn't matter if that group's 100 people or 100,000 people. LinkedIn has a built-in email marketing system right inside of the platform for free. So as a system admin, that's a very powerful tool. So the goal sometimes of participating in a group is to first show the group that you're not a bozo, that you're contributing quality information, that you're contributing to the conversation, you're adding information in. And there's some tactics that you can do that will make that more effective. For example, let's say you post a discussion in a group. Nobody is responding. Maybe you look on the right-hand side of your LinkedIn screen and it shows you the top contributors in a group. Why don't you reach out to them and say, hey, I really value your opinion. 
And I would love your insight into this discussion that I started in this group that you're the top contributor on. <laughs> and so that way you can reach the influencers in the group. And so that is one method that we talked about on that episode where you can really you know, tap in and become a valuable resource with the goal being that as you get higher in the group food chain, maybe you reach out to the system admin and say, hey, look, you know, I know this is a lot of work. Could I be of assistance in helping you? Because obviously I'm a powerful contributor to the group and I believe in what you're doing. Can I help you? And maybe along the way, they enjoy that help so much that they're like, you know what? Why don't you just be the admin? Because I'm done with it. I've been doing this for five years. I only have 200,000 people in this group and it's a nightmare because my day job takes all my time. And then suddenly you're the admin of the group and you now have that 200,000 <laughs> email list with basically no cost and mostly effort, which you would probably do anyway if you are doing online marketing aggressively through forums and group mm -hmm. discussions, et cetera. Yeah. So groups are hugely – in fact, I would say in the, the, the top two arsenal of any content marketer is a group, whether it's your own or it's a group that you are actively facilitating – or it is in the Pulse Network. Those are the two real big tools for the content marketer uh, that I see inside of LinkedIn. And you know, one of the, the, the mistakes, and I've talked to a lot of people about groups, um, and most, you know, marketers join marketing groups. And, and I think that, again, the mistake I see is their, their, their prospects are not hanging out in marketing groups. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, they should be joining a group of plumbers or something right. that, you know, that talk about uh, plumbing and maybe occasionally ask how to get more plumbing customers. And, you know, that might be a place for a marketer to actually provide some real value. It's a great point. In fact, when I was very first in my career, I joined a group where I made sure that my prospects were there, but I was the only one of the, my competition involved in that group. And you're absolutely right. If you're in marketing, you don't want to be talking to other marketers per se. Maybe you want to be talking to the plumbers, the lawyers, yeah. the accountants, the service firms out there and saying, I am someone who knows marketing in your space and I will contribute content and start discussions and aid in questions that you have because I am the only one here that has that expertise. So let's talk about the content uh, component of this. Um, you know, what should be people be focusing their time and energy? And, and I'm going to come back in a second part of this question is going to be about the fact that you know, most people don't have time to do content. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, so, so what, you know, what should people be focused on when it comes to content, something they could actually maintain consistently? You know, I think if you it really, you know, that's a that's a tough question, John. Mm -hmm. You kind of have me stumped. But let me go <laughs> and tell you where I think um, an easy way to start. If the goal of social networks is to build an audience and drive them to a website that you own, right? That is in in the marketer's worldview. The reason for social networks is to drive traffic to your site. Or, I or say, capture email addresses. Or, which then capture <laughs> exactly, which then capture email addresses. I mean, because right. at the end of the day, there's a logical chain from social network to my site to my email list, etc. Right. Um, now. When I look at LinkedIn, if you're just starting out, one of the things that I would probably do if, if you have been doing some content marketing already is to repurpose some of your better posts, some of your better content on the Pulse Network. That's basically when you log into LinkedIn, you're going to see three buttons, one of which is going to be, you know, a share and update, which is a little status feed, and then, you know, write a post, and that's the long form. Mm -hmm. Take some of your older content and repurpose it 
And in that repurposed content, I would put strong calls to action that drive people to your site. So this could take several different tactics. You could take a popular post, cut it in half, and for the rest of it, they have to go to your site, right? Mm -hmm. um, or they have to uh, click on a landing page that then act, uh, allows them to access that content behind some sort of free paywall. Um, maybe you take a summary of a post that you did. And again, call to action to drive them to an email list or to uh, connect with you. So I think if you are a busy content marketer with limited time, money, and resources, the very first thing I would suggest is using that Pulse network by creating posts which are repurposed for the audience on LinkedIn with strong calls to action to start driving them to something that has meaning and value. And, Could and, be, go and, ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, let, let me, for clarification purposes, because I know LinkedIn has been on and off with this, and I've, I've I was in the original publisher group, and so um, so I know I can post. Can, can anybody post now? Everyone can post okay. now. Everyone can. Now. And okay. it was just announced that they are supporting languages like Portuguese and other foreign languages. So right. make no mistake, the Pulse Network from LinkedIn. There's there's three primary areas that LinkedIn is focused on. One of which is the publishing side. Mm -hmm. They've hired a lot of savvy journalists to push that publishing network mm -hmm. because they feel that if they can, can capture your eyeballs for business content, then they can capture eyeballs for other things. Yeah. So the fact that it's open to everyone it should be on any content marketers radar screen like hey I have a new place to do it and if you've been frustrated with medium in the past mm -hmm. try it over there in LinkedIn and then the other aspect of that and this is where your 6,000 connections John may come to have for the help <laughs> is that as you are pushing this content out don't be afraid to reach out to your contacts. Now, the problem with LinkedIn is it limits you to sending an email to only 50 contacts at a time. Mm -hmm. But if you segment them, if you are pretty savvy about it, you can take the time to really say, hey, I just published this article. What do you think? You know, there is a way to leverage some of that within LinkedIn without having to pay extra money or do anything of that nature. So let's talk about pay extra money. Um, mm -hmm. Are the premium features uh, worth it for for somebody that's going to take this approach like you're talking about? Yeah, it, that's an iffy question. That came up in our discussion group on uh, the missing link. We have a LinkedIn group that's very private and super secret mm -hmm. uh, for my show listeners. And that came up. And I'll tell you what my advice is, is that no, I don't think paying for premium features from the get-go is worthwhile. Mm -hmm. However... If you are in very active lead generation mode, uh, especially on a one-to-one -one individual level, the advanced search features in LinkedIn are worth the premium cost. Uh, it's expensive. It is totally worth it if you're really trying to understand a market segment, if you really want to be able to have those extended search capabilities mm -hmm. to find people. Yeah. That, I would say, is the number one reason to do it. I don't, you know, the email marketing inside of LinkedIn, outside of groups, is very, very limited. So while you can buy more in-mails, it's so small that it really is not designed for the, the broader communication that most people like, especially if they have 6,000-plus contacts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So another uh, money question. What about advertising? Has anybody been able to make advertising work on LinkedIn? Interesting question. When I first started the show, I went around and asked a ton of thought leaders what they thought about advertising on LinkedIn. And of course, everyone said, too expensive, too little results. And it really got me. So I had uh, Jason Miller on the show. He was my very first guest. Um, he shared some amazing case studies on how consumer brands are using LinkedIn to advertise to consumers effectively. Hmm. I thought that was interesting. But yeah. of course, consumer brands have tons of money to burn. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> 
so then I brought Janet Driscoll Miller in, and Janet shared a technique that I'll share with their audience that really may make ads worth it. They are expensive. Remember this. They are expensive, and it's a limited universe. However, what she did was for one of her clients, she bought LinkedIn ads that drove people to a landing page on her site where she used a Google AdWords remarketing cookie (laughs) on that page so that if they didn't download the white paper, if they didn't do the call to action, then that ad would follow them around the web for, you know, let's say five, six, seven times to drive them back to that landing page. When she contrasts that to a Google AdWords buy plus Google AdWords remarketing versus a LinkedIn ad buy plus Google AdWords remarketing, the cost went down tremendously and sales increased by 281 <laughs> percent. What what type of industry do you remember? It was in the business to business high end sale, but these right. were twenty thousand dollar products yeah, that yeah, she yeah. was selling. Yeah. So, so in she that, she could invest five or six bucks in in that. exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so I do think that you, the way to look at LinkedIn ads is they are expensive, they are very targeted. So if you are trying to sell a very expensive product to a very high end group. I would probably go there first than going to a general Google AdWords buy, mm-hmm. right? If yeah. you've got something more consumer oriented, you're really going to have to, you know, blast it out there then that may also be an option. But if you're in a, you know, a, selling a $200 product, you know, you're not really may not want to spend those ad dollars on LinkedIn from what I have heard from other peers. So, let's end up with um, probably where I should have started or where some people start. Um, are, are there well, first off, is there value in spending a lot of time and energy and thought of, of you know, dressing up your profile? And if so, you know, what are, what are your five kind of tips for, for sure. you know, making that great profile? Almost all LinkedIn marketing experts will start with that your profile needs to be rock solid. It is kind of a universal thing that everyone has to do if they're just even flirting with the idea of LinkedIn. So the things that I really, really can't stress enough for people to do is number one, get a solid photograph with at least 70% of that thumbnail image being your face, mm-hmm. okay? Not the mugshot from some corporate card, <laughs> you know, not you on top of a mountain. <laughs> or or I mean, that it, person where you see their other shoulder in it because you didn't crop them out completely. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it has got to be your face because <laughs> I need to know that you're real, yeah. and the more face I see, the more real you become. Right. The second thing I would advise is that you have a professional headline. It's usually, not usually, it is underneath your name. The problem I see sometimes people do is they want to put in these very elongated marketing plugs for themselves, okay? Instead of using that headline area to, to build authority. For example, I am the CFO of a major, of a company. That has a lot of authority. Obviously, I know something about finance, right? If I was the chief marketing officer, if I was the head strategist, if I was the supervisor of XYZ, use the professional headline to build authority for who you are and why people should pay attention. Because if you don't, if you've got some elongated you know, uh, um, sales line, then trust me, I know that you're probably trying to uh, uh, sell me something mm-hmm. and I'd be more inclined to not connect with you. The third tip I always give is spend time on your summary. Is one of the benefits of a LinkedIn profile is that it does have, um, it is picked up by search engines. So it has some SEO-esque features, if you will, where you can actually create a profile and when people are searching for your name, that profile will show up in a search engine. 
One way to help that is to put your name in place of I or me. So instead of I like to uh, work on podcasts, it would be Sean Jackson runs the missing link. Sean Jackson does this. More the uh, keywords related to your name in your summary, the better. But it's not just that. It's also about why should anyone care about what you do? For example, I have a programming background. So I could talk about, you know, I like to program in, you know, let's say .NET. Or how about this? When I was 13 years old, before my father died, he gave me his programming book, and from then I became a .NET programmer. Okay, which one's more powerful? Yeah, one's yeah. going to make you cry, <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> you know, yeah. and one is going to sit there and be like, ah, he's just another guy out there. So use that space to talk about why you do what you do in a meaningful way, so that if somebody understands this, they know more about you than the generic resume. I increase sales by twenty-five percent, you know. <laughs> and so those are the very simple things. And I think the last tip that I will give is. By all means, if you belong to any association, um, if you are a part of a nonprofit, if you are part of um, a charity group, make sure you include those experiences in addition to your work history. Because again, the more commonality you have with people, the easier it is to connect with them. So for example, if you and I were uh, supporting the same charity together and I didn't know you, John, I could use that as a common reference point for us talking. Right? So I think that when you're looking at that profile, be very uh, cognitive of the fact that any experience you had, your fraternities, your sororities, your charity work, the time you volunteered for, you know, Habitat for Humanity, put all of that in there so when people look at that profile, they can find something in common with you, or you can use that to find commonality with someone else. So when somebody reaches out to you to try to connect, what you're saying is, you shouldn't say, I would like to add you to my professional network. <laughs> Boy, that is so easy to click that X button and say no, John. <laughs> I'm telling you, I tell you that I will almost always connect with people who give some sort of context for the connection. Right. I met you at an event. I yep. listened to your show. I, you know, et cetera. Because if my rule of thumb, and this is different than most people, my rule of thumb is I never connect with anyone unless I know that I know them and they know me (laughs) because the reason for the connection is that maybe in the future we may want to do something together. And so if I send them an email and they're like, huh, oh, who's this guy from LinkedIn? What? I don't know who this guy is. Then obviously it's a lost connection. But if I connect with someone and I know them or feel relatively certain that if I sent them an email, they would remember me, then yeah, I would accept that connection. But if you're a recruiter out of, you know, Bangladesh, I probably won't connect with you. Sorry, nothing against Bangladesh, nothing against recruiters. Just not going to happen if you're saying, I, you know, uh, what you call it, I'd like to add you to my professional network. Whatever the the default is. Yeah, and I I think that, you know, there was, was, as social networks cropped up, you know, a lot of, the the, the goal was to have lots of numbers. Um, But one of the things about LinkedIn is there's really no social proof in having a big following. You right. don't know how many people some, right. you know somebody has. And I think what you quickly realize is if you're going to get in there and use the tool at all, having big numbers just makes it harder to manage. 
It does. And this is the thing. Once you get past that magic 500 plus number, right. um, and even at 500 at, at best, that's going to be 10 categories of 50 people you could email, right? So that's 10 emails you would have to send out to 50 people in a batch. So, you know, once you start getting to, you know, 5,000, then that's 100 different yeah. uh, uh, email groups you'd have to send to. So really for me, you are correct that the large swath doesn't really help unless, and this is where, again, the large swath of followers that you have, for instance, or connections that you have, is when you're using that Pulse network, right? Yeah, right. When you're sending things out there, it is notifying those up, uh, those people. If you are sending out updates on a fairly frequent basis, if you're uploading images, there's a feature inside of uh, LinkedIn that allows you to put up those infographics, right? Mm -hmm. You know, again, that larger audience now can consume your content, right? So there is a, a, a indirect benefit to having the larger connection base. But again, if you're not updating, if you're not adding infographics, if you're not putting on Pulse, if you're not commenting and liking and doing all these things, then the, you're just wasting, you're just basically connecting, collecting connections for collection's sake. Yeah. Sean, this was awesome. Uh, we could probably go on for another uh, uh, half an hour here, but uh, we've come to the end of our time. So I'm Certainly. talking with Sean Jackson. He is the host of The Missing Link. Uh, you can find it on our show notes, but it's a rainmaker.fm uh, publication. He is also the CFO and partner at Copyblogger, and uh, maybe we'll see you out there on the road soon, Sean. Hey, John, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.